Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of the award-winning podcast, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And you're listening to the Excelsior Journeys with George Soroy. Prepare to ignite. So would you say that that's kind of like the lightning bolt moment for you? And that's why I taught myself how to draw. It was actually the Little Mermaid. Drawing stills of Ariel. I've got better things to do tonight than die. jumped out of his chair and said, who the F is this? I remember walking out of the theater and saying, I'm going to write Halloween I'm rather impressed with your research. Rarely do people ask me about children in the car. It doesn't have to be perfect. Just do it. You know, throw some spaghetti against the wall. This is George Soroy saying to all of you, ever upward. Welcome back to Excelsior Journeys. This is George Soroy, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for tuning in to part of the Rising Tide Broadcast Network. I am so excited to have you here. I am so excited for what is to come, and I am incredibly excited for this week's episode. Now, before I introduce our guest, I'm going to take you back a little bit to around 1989. I'm in seventh grade. I'm with my friend hanging out over at his place, and he asks me, have you ever seen this movie called The Monster Squad? And I admit that I have not. And so he talks me through it and everything. He basically just went full spoiler on me and just uh, basically just told me how the whole thing goes from beginning to end. And it was enough to really get me interested in watching it. And thankfully, he only went over the general story because while he was really focusing on a lot of what the kids were doing, when I first finally got down to watch it, my attention was immediately grabbed by the gentleman playing the role of Dracula. And I knew that this was someone that I needed to keep an eye on. And it turns out that Mr. Duncan Regeer had been around for for quite a while, and I was able to get myself caught up and then keep an eye on on seeing what he's been doing since then. And I am incredibly, incredibly excited to have him here because Duncan is the perfect example of what an Excelsior journey is all about. Someone who is hold who holds on to his passions, cultivates new passions, works with those, becomes a success, and that, but at the same time, never letting go of those original passions that got him into this wonderful world of art in the first place. And I am thrilled to say that Duncan's dove headfirst into the world of art, and he has his latest exhibit called Journey that's going to be starting. Um, at the beginning of March. So by the time you hear this, it's going to be out there. So if you're in Vancouver, definitely check this out. I am so excited to have him here to discuss not only Journey, but everything that happened beforehand. It is my pleasure and honor to introduce to you my guest for this week, Mr. Duncan Regeer. Duncan, how are you, sir? Hi, George. I'm great. Thank you. Good to see you. Hear you. Good to see Good to see you. Yeah. And yeah. So tell me a little bit about before we dive into the your origin story here. Let, let uh, tell us a little bit about Journey itself. Well, Journey is a, a culmination of, of a lot of different journeys, actually. And it's sort of based on the idea that we we tend to look at our lives, our journeys mm-hmm. as a series of connected episodes. And the activities of daily life are are generally recognized as being, uh, not generally, you know, looked at as being important to the path of destiny. Unless, however, when we experience an impactful moment, be that one of, say, coincidence, karma, epiphany, a reckoning of bliss or tragedy, and we sort of become aware that we are always on the threshold of destiny. And in the journey series of works, each painting conveys a specific moment that is a representation of an inner journey, um, whether it is a journey of fate, a dream journey, or 
metaphysical journey, the subjects are all travelers and they're on their way from one place to another or have arrived at a crucial moment of destiny. Wow. So, uh, but many of the works, they draw upon the, the power of the, of the single figure navigating a broad landscape and others, there are more people involved. So st stance, placement, clothing, proximity to others reveal the subject's objectives and, mm -hmm. and their state of being. Sometimes in several of the paintings, uh, there, there is a juxtaposition of two figures which serves to anchor deeper perspective for both the narrative and the composition. Wow. So. It sounds to me like it's very much like a, basically like who it is that you are meant to become, but at the same time, like there's never like a, a straight line to that. There are always different twists and turns and everyone has to kind of like evolve in different ways in order to reach that, that particular goal. Is that something that you really hold on to as well? Yes, I think it's it's you've heard heard this before, of course, and I'm sure many people who are far more articulate and and have studied the subject more than I have understand that we set out a lot of our future not in specifics but in a general sort of way with envisionment. Yeah, you hold on to that vision for what you want to become. It's not going to transform into something that you that is exactly the way you see it, but it's going to come close. Yeah, And it, it will reveal itself that way. And maybe it's too early to speak on that subject because I have other ideas about it that I've written about and lectured on and what have you. Yeah, it, that's really where where it comes from. Yeah, it's it kind of reminds me a little bit about 30 years ago that I, that I created that I was just kind of using to pass the time in high school who would be named Excelsior. And I finally got to start writing his book in 2008. And... When during that time, the whole time like that I envisioned him back in the day when I first came up with him and everything, when this moment that he would finally like put on his uniform for the first time and it was going to be like this grandioso moment and it was going to be just like this real like legendary figure really <laughs> doing it. And in the book, he's he's putting it on while in a bathroom and with a fuzzy toilet seat on the cover. And it just for some reason it worked. <laughs> so it's it's that's one right. of those things where you just, right. it never works out like the way you think it was, you know, think no, it is initially. Right. But that's then when right. you have that moment, it's just like, wow, this is even better. It just has that. It's, it's one of those things where just like, as we grow, we evolve and our perspective evolves with it. Yeah, no, quite right. I mean, I, I remember as a child, I was always running around like all kids do. I ran, ran around playing Robin Hood and gladiators mm -hmm. and, and all of those sorts of things, but always had a kind, kind of a thought or a vision in my m tiny mind yeah. that this would somehow manifest later on. And so how do I grow up to be a gladiator? How do I grow up to be a great swordsman and all of that sort of thing? Well, you ended up playing Zorro and and you were a gladiator as well right Correct. I was in, in yep. Pompeii, the last the, the last first days of, of Pompeii right the last days of Pompeii yeah yeah that's uh -huh. that's fantastic so it all kind of came about in that way but it all I, when I I say that it's a lot of it is envisionment excellent you know? And so that that kind of leads me into what I always like to refer to um, as the lightning bolt moment. And that's that moment in time when you kind of experience something, meet someone, see something for the first time, hear it and realize, ooh, that's the direction I want to go in. That's the kind of person I want to be. Now, it sounds like uh, based on what I've read and everything, you your your journey itself is very vast. Like you've got you held on to one love while 
cultivating another one and then building upon that. So like, what was, what was the moment that really kind of made you feel that art was going to be your way, whether it was going to be, whether it's going to be visual art, performing art, whatever the case, what was it about it that really kind of grabbed you? That sort of, ha- it just evolved. I mean, from, from childhood, I always, I always knew that I was an artist yeah. from the beginning. I mean, from being very small, I, I realized that I was, and I was working even then. I looked at it as being my work, yeah. uh, the, the art that I was doing. But it, it, I, I think there are all different ways of expressing oneself. And mm-hmm. many different mediums are available to us. And it's not unusual. I mean, I look around and I see some absolutely incredibly talented people that are, mm-hmm. that are actors and singers where they play musical instruments and they're capable of more. The physicality is, is quite wonderful, too. Some of these yeah. people can do. Um, or they become politicians. Thinking of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was Mr. Yep. Universe and all of that sort of thing, and envisioned all of that, and then envisioned that he wanted to be a movie star and became a movie star, and then somehow became the governor of California. Yes, yeah, it's like there was never there was never a top a time when he was just no. kind of standing still. Even with no. the movies that he was doing, they were getting more and more complex. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's basically the same kind of thing. But I I knew by the time I was twelve that I was going to be an artist. But at the same time, I grew up with a, a mother who was extremely literate, a very, very intelligent woman. And she always encouraged my interest in that area. And I, I loved it. I mean, I loved exploring characters, exploring the roles and, and the arc of a play, for example. It was theater yeah. that attracted me the most to begin mm-hmm. with. And not so much the actual being in front of an audience, which is very gratifying. Oh, yeah. But it's, for me, acting has always been about the role and finding out what that is and what what is the arc of the character that's what was always fascinating to me and um the way these things manifest my early years were all theater all Mm -hmm. nothing but theater and and shakespeare and and i kind of came a bit late to hollywood Mm -hmm. which was a completely different experience (laughs) 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 <laughs> and I didn't stay with it that long. I mean, I got out of Hollywood because it wasn't my my sort of thing. The red carpet world isn't mine. Um, yeah. And I think, actually, I think that red carpet's getting a little moth-eaten right now. It's, it's tattered around the edges. I've heard, heard stories of the Academy Awards ceremony not being in place anymore in, in the future. But um yeah, they're anyway. the, the 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 things that they're doing right now is just like they're looking in the wrong directions. I feel like to to really kind of trying to yeah. kind of spice things up, but at the same time, they're doing it at the expense of so much of what make these movies great. I make a point to be to watch the telecast so I can see and in, in a lot of times here who is nominated for best original score. I'm not going to have that anymore because they're yeah. just going to say, oh, the the you know, the composer for best original score was this person and that's it like i would have loved to see like or hear little snippets of each of each piece before before going uh before actually like naming the winner i know we tend to we tend to do that and i don't really uh, i don't i don't really support any sort of competition in the arts in any respect i know we have competitions for for art competitions and it's all there to to generate income and to to interest as well, but a lot of people get left out and 
a lot of very, very fine work is overlooked as a result of these things. It gets out of control. But I don't yeah. think that, that show business, it's not called show art, it's called show business. Yeah. And it Sad. isn't. So the, the commercial side of it is the most important and it doesn't survive without it. Things mm -hmm. are changing though. I mean, in the last couple of decades, for sure, there's many, many more programs with the, the you know, and, and networks like uh, Netflix and, and what have you. Yep. You can dip into all this wonderful stuff all over the world and, and make your own choices about what you like and what's interesting to you. Yeah, you know? and yeah, a lot of different, a lot of different programming that's aimed at different, sure. different demographics. And one as, in particular, as, oh, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. No, as opposed to say, say, a, a, a film or a television series that is simply there to promote product. Yeah. Within yeah. the context of itself or as through ads that are attached to it or whatever, mm -hmm. it's all about that. So the storyline, the narrative, the theme has to flow with whatever the advertiser wants. And that's that's been the way that it is. And it's what compromises the art, I always find. Is yeah. You can't survive without having some kind of funding for what you do. And I've always created my own funding. I've never gone to governments or any, any whatever country I've been living in. Mm -hmm. I've always supported my own stuff. But I, and I know how hard that is. You have to come up with something that is commonly accepted, that is trendy it, to a degree. Mm -hmm. But that's that's a separation you have to make for yourself. What is your vision? Stay true to that. If you've got something to express that comes from your heart and your soul, stick with it. That's yeah. just just be relentless with that. Because Absolutely. the other is always going to be there. Somebody's always going to say, Well, how do I make money out of this? And right. you have to make money too. You have to survive. Mm -hmm. you know? But if but but holding on to that passion for what you're doing yeah, is, is is key. key. Yes. Yeah. 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 So with so so regarding like when it comes to now like broadcasting to so many different demographics, one that was always has always been constant is for children. And I understand that when you were a teenager, you you went into broadcasting, correct? <laughs> yes, I did. Tell us a little bit uh, about that. How you got into uh, that? What an experience! Well, it was yeah, it was being thrown into the deep end. Yeah, I, I had some experience as a, a figure skater when I was very young and I did well with it. I never liked it. It was just something mm. that I knew how to do quite well and yeah. won a bunch of awards for it and all that sort of thing. And wow. the, the local cable station is one of the very early cable stations that ever came out in Canada. And mm. they, they approached and said, well, you have this performance ability. So of course you can go and be a teenage talk show host. Why not? Yeah. Try. <laughs> so sure, of course that makes complete sense to me. So mm -hmm. I, I I was on this show called Penny Penny Lane. It was called Penny Lane. Yeah, Penny Lane, and it was sort of based on the Beatles at that time. I was just a kid, but we had all sorts of people on hockey players. We had, and I would interview these people badly, or or ballerinas, or whatever. We had all kinds of different people come on, and right. I would talk to them. Uh, but it was a great introduction to being terrified in, with an audience and uh, <laughs> stumbling around learning from my mistakes as much as possible. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I know that and, very well. <laughs> and the ridicule and the ridicule that came along with it was you know, <laughs> very humbling, which is something I've never forgotten. I, I would get reviews just to make sure that I never got beyond myself. I would always take the bad reviews and stick them on the refrigerator so that you know, oh, the next time you okay. think you're the big cheese, I just read this review. Regarious ghost in Hamlet. 
looks like Zsa, Zsa Gabor with a wig. Oh my! You know, or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> wow! Yeah. You don't forget those kinds of reviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they are humbling. Yeah. 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 yeah, and yeah, one of my one of my previous guests had uh, had a great way to look at a rejection when it's when she said since she was also um, an author, and she said that don't worry about the amount of no's because all it takes is one yes. So right. it sounds like it sounds like what the way by having the the bad reviews on there, it's like yeah, everyone can can say so many good things like when you're out there when you're already on the air, but when you get those bad ones or like less than flattering ones, those are ones that kind of like you keep in mind as oh, see sure, like, okay, sure. what can, yeah, what, can what can I do yeah. to kind of pump that part up a little bit? Yeah. You know? yeah. And so from, from there you went into the, uh, theater and television as well over in Canada. No, it was more of the, yes, the theater for, for quite a few years. I mean, I started very young with a Shakespeare group before mm -hmm. I even left school. I was working as a professional at the age of uh, 16 and, and I was very fortunate to 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 enter into that world and work with major professionals in the theater and and just went from there. By the time I was I was ready finished finished with high school and I wanted to get going. Yeah, you know, and I loved the theater. Nice, very yeah. nice. So, and then and then, and then it was oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry. And then then segued into into everything else. And in the early days in Canada, I lived in Toronto for a while. Mm -hmm. And we would do everything. We did yeah. radio. We did uh, commercials. We did, we'd do anything to keep yeah. ourselves alive and afloat. And in those days, there was a lot of regional theater to be done. So there was a lot of traveling back and forth across the country and, and performing for people. And then That's it got great. to a stage where you talk about these seminal moments where things change. Yeah. A dear friend of mine, I received news. I was in a production, production of Equus in mm. New Brunswick, of all places, on, on the road. Wow. And I received news that he had died. Mm. And I'd done several plays with this man, and he was a very, very good friend, an old, an old dear friend. And when they, they collected him, they found him. He'd fallen asleep in his flat, mm. and they found him. He had All his possessions were in one trunk. He had nothing else. Wow. And I realized at that time that I thought, do I want that? That was, mm -hmm. you know, his life. He believed in what he was doing, but he was impoverished, really. Yeah. He really had nothing. And I thought, well, I don't want to do that. Mm. Um, I want to want to explore further and, you know, have a good life. Yeah. And so I, I headed for Hollywood. Yeah. Basically, with nothing. <laughs> yeah. But but you had that. But you had that. Yeah. image of like a starving yeah. artist kind of yeah, but yeah, well, really sure. staring staring you down that's yeah. that'd be enough to scare anyone and a lot of people would have just walked away from it completely and have sought like a different way to make a you know make a living for themselves but the fact that you kept with that kept with the art kept with the pat something that keeps you going keeps yeah. you passionate yeah. and then we're able to see like how can i make that work for me as and give myself a stable life like that's 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 a lot right there. And knowing that you were able to to do that. Yeah, it was a, it was I guess a lot. It didn't seem like it at the time. I was just on an adventure and I was newly married and I, I wanted to give a good life to my spouse and you know it came from the school back then that she doesn't have to work. I'll do everything. Of right. course, you know, I had to let that go. I had to yeah. figure that one out. 
eventually. And so it was it, but it it worked right away in, in going to Hollywood. And of course, during all of this time, I was painting and mm. selling my work and, and sometimes on the street. Oh, really? Um, yeah, sure. Oh, wow. In, yeah, sure. In, in Toronto and in Stratford and mm -hmm. what have you, I, I would go out and I'd just sell what I could sell. I had to pay the rent somehow. Yeah. Couldn't get acting jobs. And so I sold little paintings and drawings and what have you. And, and that's how things went along. Wow. Wow. So, so it really was the art that was keeping you, keeping you going. Oh, quite often, quite often. Yeah. yeah. It, it was the, the thing that just skipped us through the rent at the end of the month kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so the, so then like as the, as the eighties start, you know, start up, you're getting some bit parts, you know, here and there, you're getting some guest roles, you're getting some starring roles on some, yeah. some shows. Yeah. Is that correct? <clears throat> and, and then I think it was, was around 83, 84. That's when you got the role of Charles in V. Uh, uh, what that would have been, I think 80, yeah, 82, 83, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Charles, I'd done, uh, before that, I'd done a series called, I played Prince Blackpool. Oh, and uh, Wizards and Warriors. Right? Wizards and Warriors. And yeah. I did another picture called Goliath Awaits mm. um, with Christopher Lee, actually. Oh, um, really? And he comes up because you mentioned Dracula. Yeah. And he was, I, I loved watching his <clears throat> Hammer films with, with Peter oh, Cushing. Yeah. Peter Cushing, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pardon me. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's how the ball started to get rolling. And uh, then V came along and, and then other things as well. What Last was it like? What did, what did you think about like how uh, playing that kind of role of Charles on, on there playing an alien? What was the, what was that whole, what, how was that like <laughs> with, with doing that show? Well, it, it was it was different. It was not it was not my my cup of tea, but I you know embraced it and said, okay, you want this sort of camp, crazy lizard guy? That's fine. That's you know, <laughs> that's okay. It was I. It was fun, and I certainly enjoyed the cast. Jane Badler is, it was lovely to work with, and yeah, I I had a good time with her, and yeah, we remained friends, and and it was a good experience. But I get eventually segued out of that and had other films and things to do. And, yeah, yeah. and plus several pilots came along that I did not have any success at all, but I did them. That's great. And you're yeah. still just, yeah, just keep on, keep on going, keep on. Yeah. And, and, and from what I saw, like there's a, there's a pretty wide range of genres as well. Like were there, yeah. were there certain ones that really kind of grabbed you and just like, Ooh, I, I really, I'm enjoying doing this. Cause you said the sci-fi, the, the sci-fi of V wasn't really your cup of tea, but like, were there other things that really just kind of grabbed you and just like, well, I want to do more? Yes. I mean, I, I enjoyed the, again, I ended up in all these kind of camp pictures. I mean, in the last days of Pompeii in many ways, that version of it was very, very camp. And yeah. Yeah. But it was great fun. I got to work with Lawrence Olivier and all these wonderful people, Ernie Borgnine. And it was, it was a terrific experience. These are people I'd never imagined I would ever have any association with and was just struck by their their stardom and their their talent mm -hmm. um, but yeah i enjoyed that that genre was wonderful but i equally i enjoyed doing the western with val kilmer and gore vidal gore vidal's billy the kid oh wow yeah that's right played wow. pat garrett and so yeah it was that those different sort of and then moving into horror uh, yep. as well with the you know, semi-horror again camp stuff. That's that's something that like, that like I'm 
really just kind of fascinated with because your approach to Dracula was so was 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 ideal for that role. Like the way that that it was done, it was menacing without being so over the top that like the parents would be pulling their kids away. Although you do have that one I, wonderfully iconic moment right near the end. But I'm I'm curious to see like what was as you were doing it, as you were playing that role, that version of Dracula, like what was your what were your thoughts like as you as everything was developing? Well, back then it it wasn't so popular. Anthony Anthony, what's his name? The, the, the wonderful Welsh actor is just a um, Hannibal Lecter was was oh, sort of like the, yeah. the apex sociopath or psychopath, yeah. whichever way you want to look at it. But that that was not what I was looking for at that time. This is perhaps a bit earlier. Looking for a, a sociopath, make him mm -hmm. in that sense he would be human. Yeah, surrounded by other monstrous creatures, which were more had a visual aspect to them with claws and teeth and growling and whatever, all that kind of stuff. So, and there was always that kind of argument between myself and the director, who is now a good friend. But at the time, we were kind of at odds about that. I really? said, this this has to become much more psychological. It has to have mm. a real sense of humor. To him, the the lines have to be there. The one liners. That yeah. are pure, but he has in his mind a focus. Power he does. Yeah, villains always know what they want, mm -hmm. and you can and, see that too as he's oh, as yeah. he when he see when he's you know walking through the the caverns and he finds the amulet. Yeah, that that moment is just. I mean, that's you want to talk about like gravitas, like right there, like that sure. was that felt like it was just you were able to just go right to the moon with that, like that just. Oh, like, absolutely, it was so much absolutely. Fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's that kind of ride, but that that was really what I was after. Was the the worst kind of monster is the human monster. We've got one right now. Not to go down that trail too much, but it, yeah. it really was a, a drastic situation with a sociopath of epic proportions. Mm -hmm. Again, uh, oh yeah, in Europe, and and mm -hmm. that's it's tragic. It is. But yeah. anyway, yeah, you know, way back when in 1989, or I guess it was a bit earlier. 87. Yeah. Yeah. It so was, yeah. and 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 what was what was your feeling like the moment when you had to actually grab a young girl, hold her up and say the line, give me the amulet, you bitch. Like, obviously, there's no way I can <laughs> say what the kind of the kind of the, the way that you did. But like, yeah. what was that? What was that experience like knowing that yeah. you know, that was going to be that that's that's getting there. That's that's pushing pretty close to the edge right there. Oh, yeah. That's that's really what was what's underlying in the man or the the. The creature, if you will, yeah. that, that is Dracula. That rage. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's like it, it's wild. like it's yeah. It's just like it was throughout the entire movie. It was just like it was getting yeah. there, getting there, and then yeah. there it is. There's there the it is. You're in the way of the thing that he's absolutely obsessed with, and 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 it was it was a difficult scene to do. And she, when she screamed, she scared me more than I scared her. She really? Oh, she could really oh. scream. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That she definitely could. Yeah. Every, everyone, everyone involved. Like I, I have, obviously you can tell I got a lot of love for, for the movie. I absolutely loved your performance like in it. And it was, that was a major reason why I was always recommending that movie to friends. It was because of, because of what you did with that. Yeah. So, so, but then a couple of years passed and then all of a sudden you have the chance to play another iconic character, Zorro. Yes. Well, what was that like? Because that went on for, was it four seasons or five? What did we did? 88 episodes or 89 episodes? Yeah. Uh, yeah, all together. So, and we lived in Spain. We shot it all in just outside of Madrid. 
mm-hmm. and in the studios at Madrid, and which was a wonderful experience as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it was a wonderful character, actually, done in simplistic terms because it was a family show. Right. And my hat really goes off to the, the writers who could put together uh, some sort of narrative and in less than half an hour, 22 and a half minutes, I think, with commercials and everything, but they had to tell the whole story with subplots yeah, and get it out there. And I, I just, it was amazing how well they did all that stuff. A mammoth project for me because I was playing two roles, not one. Right. I was playing the, the Zorro, the, the, the masked man, and, and also Don Diego, yeah. the man without the mask. So there were... Mm-hmm two different characters to play. And that meant you were in just about every single scene and very, very physically demand a lot of horseback work and certainly all the sword work, which I loved and, and brought all my skills from the theater to yeah. manifest that. Now, from my understanding is you've also done some writing, correct? Writing. Yes. Yeah. Uh, several books. Yeah. I've written several books and uh, yeah. And poetry. And a lot of the poetry is, is attached to my art. I sort of integrate the two of them. And certainly in this this exhibition, The Journey, mm-hmm. I have included much much poetry with the imagery. So when people come to, to come to the exhibit, they will also be seeing the poetry that it's not written about the painting and the painting isn't an, an illustration of the poem, but there are, could be correlations between the two. So that there's a so flow like to piece. the whole exhibit. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And so, and so like during all of this time, like are all the, t- you know, the years of being involved in theater, film, television, was there like just a, almost like a loyalty to the art because it kind of kept you going during those early years? Or is it just um, something that you just never lost a passion for? No, it's just, it just seemed to me that these are all mediums of expression, writing, acting, mm-hmm. painting, sculpting. They're, they're all, they all come from the same place in some way. They're just yeah. different things that I can use, different, different ways of expressing. And for me, art making is expressive exploration. Yeah. Yeah. To, to find out the truth, whatever that means. And I don't mean, I'm not talking factual truth. I'm talking about right. the yeah. truth within ourselves. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And wow, that's and, and the cosmos, if you will. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and, and we all and we all have our and we all have our own perspectives of the cosmos. Sure. Everyone has their own sure. viewpoint. So this is a wonderful means of really kind of seeing the world, the cosmos, sure. you know, everything um, through someone else's eyes. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's we all tap into this this sort of idea. Of, of where does all of it come from? That's that's really what's fascinating to me. And and we so often look for a simplified analysis of of what the psychological or emotional experience of the artist was, an event or a social or political or a memory of something tangible within our physical environment. But yeah. and any of these could provide a clean answer. I mean, it's a, it's a reasonable explanation. Yeah. Um, but I guess so, the question the question really remains where does where does the vision come from for yeah. a work of art? It flows through the feelings and the thoughts of the artist as the spark of imagination. And what is the source of that energy? And that mm-hmm. isn't easy to explore. 
That is true. It's elusive. It's most. It's almost inexplicable. Yeah. Why? And it. It's always changing too. Sure. Like as as it, we as we get older and everything. Yeah. Sure. It, it it comes from beyond reality, beyond what we think we know is real. Yeah. It's it's just interesting to me. The the potential for creation is always there. For example, if you look at the helicopter. Mm-hmm that the potential for its creation has always been there if you go back to centuries ago it was there we had yeah. to think of it first leonardo da vinci in the 15th century came up with a matrix for a helicopter mm-hmm. and back then it was considered a fantasy yeah but today it's a reality yeah um, now yeah that's that's yeah that, it's exactly like that's it's amazing yeah. just how you know like how we can hold on to things from so long ago and be able to yeah. take those ideas and just like cultivate them and and make them work with 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 today's technology and here Absolutely. we are here we are i think we're getting closer and closer and closer i mean according to quantum field theorists the essential raw material materials of reality are are non-material mm-hmm. you know it's that the atom is made up of particles of protons, electrons, quarks, etc., that kind of stuff, and 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 they're not material at all. Mm-hmm. They're they're basically impulses of energy, and, yeah. and information. When you get to that level, mm-hmm. an amazing kind of transformation occurs, and and beyond the atom, that is, and and suddenly everything solid disappears. Yeah, and that sort of sort of breaks with the the prevailing view and take science to uh, kind of one closer step to a paradigm shift because the 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 whole of the universe is like a quantum mirage and when we when we go beyond the quantum level beyond energy Mm -hmm. there's nothing and physics refers to this sort of pre-quantum level as the virtual Mm. and that's the place where the power of creation comes from where it Mm. resides yeah Potential so like, all so like the so it's like the creation the creation comes from there and then yes. as the more the more it goes the more elements get involved with it and yes. then you have more people getting yeah. involved with it some bringing something to sure. reality but with with art the thing that's that's amazing about that is that like when it comes to like things like art things like writing now like with with theater film television there are always so many different moving parts that make something right. into right. into a finished product but with art it's basically it's you and the canvas or whatever it is that you want to however you want to express that art so when you when you were really f- started to fully explore that what was that feeling like when you were able to get something out there that can actually sh- be shown at a gallery Cause that's like, cause that's like all of your work. It's just like, it's, it's your perspective. It's your, your vision. And here it is like being, being out there for, for, for everyone to see. What was that yeah. experience like for you? Well, it, it was a wonderful sense of sharing. That's all yeah. just a wonderful, wonderful sense of sharing. Cause I never really looked at the, and I still don't to this day, people say, this is your art and it's just whatever manifests through me. Artists yeah. often talk of themselves as being conduits for something rather mm-hmm. than, of course, something of me, some kind of biography of me is in every single piece I do and in yeah. to greater or lesser extent, but it's not the drive of what I'm doing mm-hmm. or, or is it the magnet of what I'm doing? <laughs> it's one way or the <laughs> other, the draw yeah. or the push, I don't know. 
right. one of the two. Um, but what's it like? What does it feel like? Here we go again. I don't know. Just, I, I just, it's sharing. Yeah. It's a feeling of sharing. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. And so yeah. like having, having that experience and that, that just really kind of push you into saying like, Oh, I want to do more of these. Or I have like, was it just the ideas, ideas itself that were kind of driving the art to a point where it was like something that could be an exhibition? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always thought in terms of, of basic themes as something to explore an area. And you, and if it's, if it's strong enough, it'll manifest in a series of works. When you have a series of works, then, Hey, let's put it up. Let's put yeah. it up. There's, there's, a, there's a whole journey mm -hmm. there here you go. for people there you to go, go to, to have a look at and to, to, to take the same journey. Yeah. See what I found out. See what what's there. And I'm not looking for accolades for that. Don't get no. me wrong. I don't give a damn about that. Right. I just want to share it with them and mm -hmm. see you know if they, if they can get anything out of it. And I and I love doing it. I, I love hearing what the, the reactions that people have to the work because it always tells me first of all a lot about them. Their it's their perspective, their viewpoints. It's not me telling them what they're supposed to be thinking. Mm -hmm. Although they always ask me, and I just point to the work and say, "Well, that's what I mean. Yeah. That is what I'm saying. Is this work is a visual work, or whether it's a written work, or whatever? That is what. That's the point right there. But what you get from it, that's what I'm interested in hearing about. Yeah, always. So, it's, so it's not so much about like putting it out, putting it out there, and getting like, getting like, say, like the press or anything like to come out. It's basically just kind of reaching out to other people and just like, what did you like? How did you, how did you interpret this? Not so much like, did you like it or anything? It was just like, how did you interpret yeah. this? Is that the sort yeah. of? Did it evoke anything? Did it? What? Yeah, and sometimes there isn't anything. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't connect with people. It's it's really, yeah, it's it's really how we connect. There's a communion that happens with art. It's how we know ourselves better. It's becoming more real, mm -hmm. even though it's all metaphorical. And that's the odd thing about metaphors is they aren't actually. A, a, a truth of reality. They're a representation of reality that teaches us about reality. Yeah. And so if, so if there are others who feel like there is something in them, some form of art that's ready to kind of like come out of them, whether it's, whether it's acting, whether it's, whether it's painting, whether it's sculpting, whether it's writing, whatever the case, what would you say? Like if the, someone comes up, comes up to you and just like, there's something in me, I don't know how to get it out. What's the first thing that you would suggest to them? Well, yeah, they don't know how to get it out, but there are they attracted to they're leaning towards acting and thinking that that's going to, you know, be the way that they they can manifest the truth from within themselves and connect with the world. Then they've got to try it. He's got mm -hmm. to go do it. Yeah, you know? it's 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 what has to happen. If they're simply going for uh, power or um, celebrity or or money, yeah. That's a different road altogether. I'm not saying it's a bad road, but but it's going to take you away from your truth. Mm -hmm. yeah. If you keep your eye on your own truth, you'll be a much more contented person, I think. My friends, I cannot begin to say how grateful I am to Duncan for sitting down with us and 
sharing his journey, not only his own Excelsior journey in the wonderful world of art, but also to tell us a lot about the journey itself, his exhibit that is going to be at the Petley Jones Gallery in Vancouver from March 3rd to the 24th. If you are in the Vancouver area, if you're thinking about being in the Vancouver area at that period of time, by all means, be there, enjoy it. He's got an amazing story, as you already heard, and there is nothing more inspiring than hearing some of someone whose love and passion has stayed with them for all these years and has allowed them to just grow and excel and evolve and just become a wonderful example of what an Excelsior journey is all about. So for Duncan Regeer, this is George Saroy saying to all of you, Ever Upward, and I will see you next week. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Excelsior Journeys. I hope it was both inspiring and entertaining. Special thanks to Zach Comtois for providing new music for the intro and outro. Please take a moment to leave a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe to your platform of choice by going to he'sgotit.com slash podcasts. While there, you can also fill out the application to be a guest, inquire about sponsorship opportunities, and click on the Buy Me a Coffee link if you wish to give your support to the show. All interaction is very much appreciated. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the show, please direct it to george at he'sgotit.com.